open them to Matthew 26. If you do not have a Bible, let me encourage you to pick up the sermon notes. And even if you're using your phone, I would encourage you to pick up the sermon notes. Because we are reading Matthew 26, verses 14 to 75. Yeah, I didn't want to prepare a sermon today, so I just thought we'd read the scripture. Uh, And then John chapter 21. So we're going to be doing things, and we're going to also be looking at uh, Luke. So we're going to, and all those verses are on the sermon notes. um, So you could just sort of take some notes there. Um, because of we're entering into the Christmas season shortly. <clears throat> the Sunday after Christmas, uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving, will be an Advent, and Advent is the season of hope. And even though the resurrection is the hope of all humanity, um, the steps up to the resurrection weren't as positive. And so instead of going through, you know, the trial, the pain, the beatings, the cross, all of that, um, during, during December, we're going to sort of condense and get through Matthew uh, by the end of November. Well, we're going to skip a lot. (laughs) So it's not just condensing, it's just sort of skipping this. Because, you know, Easter's coming after Christmas, and you'll hear all those same things again. So so we're just going to go ahead. But um, Matthew 26, 14 through 75, this story is found in all of the Gospels. Only John gives us the ending of the story, the the conclusion, the postscript of what took place there. So, but we're going to go ahead and go through Matthew um, in this. And again, we had Jesus last week being anointed. And that anointment of perfume by Mary was tucked in between this period where the um, Pharisees were, or leaders were going to plot against Jesus and they said, we can't do it during Holy Week. And Jesus is telling his people at the same time, don't worry guys, this is going to happen in a couple of days. So Jesus is even trumping what they're saying and saying, no, they don't think they can do it, they'll do it. Um, and then she's anointed, and then after that, we have Judas's betrayal. Um, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. When it was evening, he, was, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, to him and one another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. 
The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to him, You will all fall away because of, because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. <clears throat> Can you imagine being Judas at that point? Is it? Is it I, Lord? You have said so. And then, doesn't say Judas left. It says Judas stayed there and had communion with Jesus. And I just tried to imagine the drama sitting around that table. Um, now, in Luke chapter 22, his account of it says Jesus is talking directly to Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. So in this meal time, they're sitting at the table. Judas has just claimed that he's going to be the one that's going to betray Jesus. They're all going to run away. And Jesus looks at Peter. Oh, and by the way, Peter, it even gets worse for you. Because Satan has demanded that they sift you like wheat. And when you have turned again... Strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So on this night of instituting the Lord's Supper, you have all of this going on. And try to imagine the emotion. And so... And Peter, and the whole point of what I'm going to share today, there's a, there's a very easily definable uh, steps to falling. There's, it's easily seen through the scripture how certain behaviors lead to other behaviors that eventually lead to denying or lead to faithless, faithlessness. Um, and that first step is right here. That first step in Peter is this downward spiral was self-confidence. And that happens to all of us. Instead of relying upon God, there's, a, there's so many times you say, well, I don't need to do this. I've got this one. I've got it covered. So Jesus says to Peter, <clears throat> I've, the Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And Peter's response is, no problem. I got it. I'm good. And he doesn't even hear what Jesus says. 
We talk about communication. Listen to what Jesus says. And once you have failed, you will strengthen your brothers. Not even in the process. What do you mean fail? I've got this. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to go to death with you. You name it, I'm there with you. I'm your man. And so there's this self-confidence. So Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now, how many times in your life have you made that kind of statement? Others may do it. I will never do that. And then a few days later, you think to yourself, wow, I didn't think I'd ever do that. And it's that self-confidence that comes from an element of pride. And a pride that we don't even recognize. And we talk every Sunday morning that the only way you're really going to grow in our relationship with Christ is through humility, surrendering. And at this point, Peter's not. He's holding on to his role as the rock. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to him, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now try to imagine you're with somebody and they look to you and they go, I am extremely sorrowful, even to the point of death. Just stay here with me and watch. Stay here with me and and be with me during this time because this is going to be the most difficult, agonizing time in my life. So just stay with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Whenever we have a sense of self-confidence, the next step of self-confidence, after self-confidence, is a lack of devotion. When we think that we can get it all by ourselves, that we think we can do it by ourselves, why do we need to pray? Why do we need to stand watch? Why do we need to rely on God. And so you have the self-confidence that leads to a lack of devotion. Um, And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. No problem, God. I got it. I know the spirit's willing, but my flesh isn't weak. I got this one. It amazes to me how many people say, well, I can do that. I can try that. I'm not going to be affected by pornography. I'm not going to be affected by drugs. I'm not going to be affected by that. I'm not going to be affected by temptation. 
and we think that we can do things that God has warned us against and because of self-confidence, which leads to a lack of devotion. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now how would you feel if you were with Jesus at that point, He's just asked you to pray, and then he wakes you up and says, thanks guys, time to get up, my betrayer is coming. This is it. This is it. How prepared were they for what was going to take place? While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do you do what you came to do? Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Now, I've always thought that interesting because in my mind, living around here, thinking, how could they not recognize Jesus? Have you ever been someplace where it was really pitch black? When we were on our motorcycle trip across, going to, um, to Route 66, we were in the middle of New Mexico, and there was no light whatsoever. I mean, there was nothing. There wasn't a moon out. There was, I mean, it was pitch black. And I'm telling you, we turned off our lights on the motorcycle, and we're sitting there, and it was downright scary to be in that kind of darkness. Well, try to imagine that kind of darkness, and all they have are lanterns, not lanterns, but torches, how easy it would be for Jesus to sneak away. How easy it would be for them not even to recognize him um, because of the dimness of the light and that darkness. So that's not totally surprising to me. That, and then Judas goes up and... Uh, says something. Now, the other thing that I find interesting in this, look how calm Jesus is through the whole time. You know, he's just, this is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I've prayed. My Father's going to give me the strength. I don't have to fight. I don't have to worry. This is part of the plan. This isn't plan B, because plan A didn't work. This is plan A. This is how I expected it to happen. And then you have Luke's account. And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Um, Luke, being a physician and a polite person, never tells you who it was. Mark, um, not so much. He informs you that this is Peter that did this. So now you have this self-confidence which leads to a lack of devotion, which leads to an act of reaction. 
I'm going to, you know, Lord, what should we do? So they throw the, he throws the question out there. But before Jesus can even answer, he's pulled out his sword and cut off an ear. How often do we do the same thing, thinking that we've done our Christian duty by asking God? But never willing to listen to what God might say. And we say, we ask, and then we move. Instead of asking, listening, and then moving. And so there's just this act of reaction. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And again, Peter's actions reveal a fundamental misunderstanding of Jesus' mission and purpose of his death. And folks, I think there is a fundamental misunderstanding of Jesus' purpose and his mission and his death in the United States today. We still think that everything that Jesus does is for our benefit, but not our benefit for the purpose of sharing with others, but our benefit just to make my life comfortable, to answer my requests. And Jesus is saying, you know what? My purpose and my mission is to die for the salvation of people. For the salvation of people, to find, so that they can find forgiveness. And if you're going to be my disciple, you need to display that same sense of love and grace and forgiveness. Now, saying that, you also have to, at this point, at least appreciate Peter's willingness to fight. There's 12 of them. Counting Jesus, 13. And the whole crowd is out there. There's guards. There's townspeople. They're carrying torches. They're carrying clubs. They're carrying swords. They're doing all that. And Peter said, okay, I'm up against you. I'm here. And so in that moment, Jesus, Peter says, you know, okay, this is what I do. I take charge. I just do it. Um, but then Jesus responds, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. Now, you know what a legion was? The number, 6,000. So he's going to send 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels, 6,000 angels for each disciple. He does, they don't have one guardian angel. They got 6,000 that are going to be with them. He says, I could do that. I could do that. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? So again, just this sense of peace. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following from afar, following from a distance. Again, self-confidence that led to a lack of devotion. A lack of devotion that led to a reaction. And then the reaction, you know, leads to following from afar. 
I used to be there. I used to be able to follow Jesus, but now I'm sort of I'm I'm in the distance because of my guilt, because of my shame, because of my misunderstanding, whatever it may, because of my pride. Instead of really following Christ, I'm just sort of at a distance. And how many times have you come to church with a desire, I wish I was just closer. I wish I had a heart for God. I wish, I wish that I could just experience the fullness of his love and his grace. And there's a question that you have to ask yourself. Has there been a period of time when I have been following from afar? I'm just observing. I don't feel like I'm really a part of having that vital relationship with Christ. As far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. So he went from following afar, and now he's sitting in the council of the wicked. He's sitting in the council of the wicked. Um, somebody have Proverbs 1 memorized? Blessed is the man who does not sit in the council of the wicked. And here we have Peter now sitting in the council of the wicked. Can you imagine what's going through his mind through all of that? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you were there with Jesus. Um, and this sitting in the council of the wicked ultimately leads to his denial. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said, by, to, said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystander came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And again in Luke's account, he writes, But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. See, there's a difference between just hearing it and remembering it. But imagine you're in that crowd. And they're taking Jesus away. The rooster crows. You recognize what you've done. And the only eyes that connect are the eyes between Jesus and Peter. I mean, the powerful picture of that. And what do you think Jesus saw? Or what do you think Peter saw in Jesus? Do you think Jesus, did Peter saw anger? Do you think Peter saw what? Understanding, forgiveness, love, grace. See, this whole story shows that regardless of our faithlessness, God is always faithful. And that doesn't change. That doesn't change at all. That's how that ends. Everywhere else. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
That's basically the end of the story. In John, John chapter 21, it goes on. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Now, we know that Peter has suffered the worst mistake, worst sin of his life. And what do the disciples do? They don't let him alone. They don't let him alone. We don't care what you've done. We see that you're remorseful. We see that you're repentant. We see that this is driving you crazy. We know that when Judas did it, he went out and committed suicide. This isn't going to happen to you. We're going to be with you, or we're going to stay with you. That's the power of community. That's the power of the Christian community. That even after our mistakes, somebody comes alongside and says, you know what, I'm not leaving you. We're going to walk through this journey together. We're going to help each other get right with Christ. Um, now, where are I? Simon Peter said to them, I am going to go fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It wasn't even Peter that noticed it first. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, since Peter's denial, these are the first recorded words between Jesus and Peter. Now, Jesus has shown up with them at other times, but these are the first recorded words of Jesus directly to Peter in this. And so after this denial, after the shame, after the betrayal, after all of that, now they're sitting down having breakfast and there has not been that one-on-one -on -one conversation. And so Jesus' response, and I don't know how you'd be feeling at that time. How, how you know, what's he going to say to me? I mean, the embarrassment, the shame, the questioning, the anxiety, the nervousness, all of that. And Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, do you love me? I could just imagine a sigh of relief. Oh, yes, Jesus. You know I do. And he asked him again, Simon, do you love me? 
Oh, yes, Jesus said, you know I do. And then he asked him a third time, Simon, do you love me? And then it sounds like he's getting a little bit frustrated. Jesus, you know I do. You know I do. Now, there's all kinds of reasons or kinds of hypotheses or hypotheses about why Jesus said to him three times. We don't know. What we do know is that he said it three times. Now, the, the human logical response is he denied him three times. Now he has the opportunity to affirm him three times. And I think that's as good as reason as any. Um, but it doesn't matter. What matters is Peter's response. You know I love you. And then Jesus' response. Well, if you love me, what are you doing here? What do you mean, Peter? Why are you fishing for fish? What do you mean? I called you to be a fisher of men. When did that change? When did I stop telling you to be a fisher of men? If you love me, why are you not doing what I asked you to do? Why are you not doing what I commissioned you to do? Why are you not doing what I called you to do? Well, Jesus, you don't understand. Of course I understand. You betrayed me. Well, I was there. I totally understand. But that doesn't change the fact that if you love me, you go back and do what you're supposed to do. If you love me, you follow my commands. If you love me, you go and be my witness. See, the whole message for me of this passage is that Peter and the others said they would never deny Jesus. But we know the outcome. Um, but still, there is hope for all people. Because Calvin wrote, God does not cease to recognize as his sheep those who are driven out and scattered in every direction for a time. At length, they will be brought back into the fold. See, God is faithful even when his people are faithless. That's why he said, his love says, I'll go look for the one that's been lost and leave the 99. See, it doesn't matter where we've been, folks. What matters is what is our relationship with Christ today and how are we following him. But also what matters is recognizing that, that path that can lead us to those moments of denial, those moments of betrayal. And it all starts with self-confidence. Back in the 60s, that was the whole theme in the Christian community, the secular community. You just need more self-confidence. You just need more self-confidence. You just need more self You have a low self-esteem, you just need a better self-esteem. And everything was centered around self. That's why I think that we sometimes forget the real message of Christ. It is never self-confidence. It is confidence in Christ. Christ's confidence that makes the difference. I know myself, and I don't know myself that well, but I do know my, but Gwen tells me I go away all the time to find myself, and she says, next time will you please find yourself? Um, but I know, I know my sins. 
And because if I know my weaknesses, I know my behaviors, I know all of those things, it's pretty hard for me to be self-confident. When I can be Christ-confident, that makes the difference. That makes the difference. Um, in the second volume of his commentary on Matthew, James Boyce says that today's passage is encouraging because it affirms that Christianity is for weak people. For weak people. Zechariah 13 says that though believers may sinfully abandon their master, he will not abandon them and he will present them as a holy people in his father. The scripture that I'm going to be putting up on the wall is Zechariah 13, 9, part B. And it will not be my handwriting. I will find somebody with good handwriting who will put it up there, but it will be my, my, the verse that I'm picking. Um, <clears throat> Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you give us so many warnings. But even knowing that after you give us these warnings, we are going to fail. But after we fail, just as you told Peter, we can go back and strengthen our brothers. And I think, Lord, that sometimes we forget that. That we bask in our failures, thinking that we're disqualified. That you knew it and you said, when, after you fail, you will be able to go back and strengthen your brothers. And so, Lord, let, help us to never hide in our shame, but to be able to continue to proclaim your truth, your love, your grace, your forgiveness, your power to heal, your power to restore, your power to renew. And help us to be your people in all things. Again, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things. And of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.